Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be discussing the most memorable scenes from books that we've read. She is going to give us a little bit more background on what she means. Oh, all right. Well, I, it was just sort of an idea that came to me that, you know, there's certain books that you've read over the years that I'm sure there's like often one scene that just sticks with you, has an emotional punch to it. Um, and I thought it might be nice to just share some of those Um you know, and why they resonated and what you remember from them. And last night I kind of went into my library and was like looking up and down the shelves and there were a few books that jumped out at me that I said, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So it's not like they were necessarily my favorite books of all time. They just had scenes in them that, that I remembered. And I mean, I'm sure we could do this show multiple times. So this is just a few that I came up with. So let's start with our normal what have you been reading? Okay. Um, I'm in this weird, like, book polyamorous relationship right now where I have too many books going on at the same time just due to timing. So what did we last talk about when we – I think I, I talked think about – You were going to start reading your book club book, what, Girl in the mm-hmm. Shape of a Cloud. Mm-hmm. And was I already reading Evelyn Hugo? You were, yeah, you were in the midst of Evelyn Hugo. What were you reading on audio? And so audio was the adults. So um, I just started the book club book like two nights ago, and I've barely gotten into it. But so far, I love it. I just love it. I think she's an amazing writer. So hopefully it it stands, you know, the the test of the rest of the book. Um, But just in the first like 20 pages, I was like dog-earing the bottom of pages, which is what I do when there's a passage I want to remember. And I just, oh, I just, it's, it's very poignant so far. I love that so, you dog ear because I dog ear. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't too much with like psychological thrillers or anything like that. Those are pretty much left in pristine condition and can easily <laughs> be passed on. Which is a statement about them right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there haven't been any moving passages, really. I mean, every now and then I come across something that's a little bit funny. Right. But yeah, there's not, or just like, sometimes you do get like those sort of funny observations on life, but it usually is not dog ear worthy. Right. So, um, yeah, I've already dog eared a bunch of pages. So I predict I'm going to really like this book. Um, so that's A Cloud in the Shape of the Girl. A Cloud in the Shape of a Girl by Jean Thompson, right? Is that who wrote that? And um, I'm like halfway, maybe a little over halfway through Evelyn Hugo. I just haven't had a bunch of time to read, so everything's taking longer than it should. Um, and I like Evelyn Hugo, but like I, the uh, the accolades that that book has gotten, I, I feel <laughs> like maybe something's wrong with me. I mean, that's good, but I think I maybe like her other two better that I've read. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know like Sarah was like, Oh, Evelyn Hugo is going to be the best of the, of the ones you've read. 
but it's it's good and i you know look forward to finishing it but i just uh i, do, I don't know i don't just necessarily now. see yeah it's just not the best book i've ever read um it's uh it's due back at the library like tomorrow and Ooh. that's going to be late i know Thankfully, it's D.C. where there's no – you have like a 30-day grace period, but it's still stressing me out. And book club is, I think, on Monday. So I got I basically need to finish both of those like in the next five days. So are you going to so, have holiday time when, when you'll be able to make that happen? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. There'll be a little holiday time. <laughs> and then I just finished The Adults on Audio, which is a book you and I both talked about as ones we were – new releases we were looking forward to in November. I think it comes out next week, next Tuesday. And it was fine. It was not amazing. It's about two ex-spouses uh, that go away on vacation for Christmas with their daughter and their current partners and about, you know, how everything goes wrong. And, you know, it's basically the vacation sort of explodes with tension and anger. Um, but, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny book. It's not like a deep book. It was fine. Uh, it was fine on audio. I, I I give it like maybe three and a half stars. So why do you think you push through with reading that? I mean, I know that you normally do are. I mean, you usually finish books when you read them. But yeah. if you were not given to doing that, what do you think it was about this book that made you? I don't know. I mean, I guess I wanted to see how it ended. It was like I wanted to see what happened. Yeah, I wanted to see what happens. It was on audio, so it was kind of art. It was already. I had already invested several hours into it. It's not mm-hmm. like a print where, you know, it goes faster. Right. And, um, I mean, I guess it was good enough to finish. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I'm going to be intrigued to see what the reviews are of this book when it comes out next week and what, like, the blogosphere, how they respond, how Bookstagram responds. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was entertaining. And I have – was going to offer it to you, but you already have it. So I think I might put it on Spivey Swap and figure out what I want in exchange. Because, you know, it's a new book, so I'm assuming someone will want it. Right. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if I'll read it. God, I hope I haven't, like, tainted it. Well, let's see what other people say. Let's see, like, what someone else that you trust says. I had read, I think I read the first chapter, and, and I was just underwhelmed by the writing. And sort of thought it was, it would be a book that would just be okay. I mean, the writing was fine. Like, I liked, there was lots of precise detail and the way she described, you know, the body language of a couple, I thought was really Mm -hmm. good. Like, if they were in bed together but angry at each other, the way (laughs) she would describe sort of the, the, like, position of their hands or their, you know, what they were doing. Like, that stuff, she was very observant and I liked that. I'm always a sucker for that stuff. And I mean, I guess it was pretty realistic, and well, the I would way say that these to you, people related to each other. I would say because I know that you like, you were a little disappointed when you read. What's the one about the daughter who shows up? Because it turned into oh, a thriller. Girl, would you say this was like a thriller, or was it no. more like domestic? No, it's domestic. Yeah. Okay. I mean, basically, it opens up there. Somebody has been shot with an arrow. One of the four has been shot with an arrow at this archery, you know, field at this resort. And you're not sure immediately who, which one of the two guys it is, but you know one of them has been shot. You don't know how it came about. 
So there's a slight element of suspense to it, and it gets sort of teased out as the chapters go by. The The actual accident gets teased out more and more. So by the time it actually happens, you already know who it is. You don't really know who did it or why, but... Um, it's not, uh, but it's not, there's no like thriller to it. It's, it's so, no, but it's a little bit of a why done it. Yeah. But even that, I mean, it's really just like a domestic, it's domestic okay. fiction. I don't yeah. know. I may give it a little bit of a chance. I'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'd be very intrigued to hear what you thought of it. All right. So what about you? What have you been reading? So yesterday I started and finished this morning reading, um, by Pat Barker called The Silence of the Girls. And that was one of the books that was getting a lot of buzz. It came out in September. Um, I think Pat Barker has written a number of books, so it was, it's not like it was a debut, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It is the story of, I guess, the Trojan War, the piece of it that Achilles is alive and fighting and sort of his battle with Agamemnon and Hector, but it's about what happens to the women when all of this is taking place. You know, we hear a lot of the accolades of the warriors and how smart they are, how strong they are in their battles with the gods. But this basically concentrates, it's mostly set, um, like, right at the beginning of the book, this town, I think it's like Lernesis Falls. And so all of the women are rounded up, like they kill all of the men and young boys and they round up the women and they are basically prisoners of war and are distributed among the men. And it's about the life of the women and the life that they have, which of course is not, you know, it's not pleasant. And they're definitely trying to process a lot of things that have happened. At one point, one of the women calls it, you know, she says, essentially what this is, is a rape camp because, you know, they're just treated as spoils of war and just what, what this life is like. Um, it, the main character is Briseis, you know, in Troy, in Troy, her story with Achilles is basically a romance and it is anything but a romance, you know, because she was not with him by choice. He had killed her husband, four of her brothers, um, you know, all of the women are, are in this position. So it's just about what is happening, you know, like how they are rebuilding their lives and adjusting to their circumstances in this situation where, where men are fighting. So you do get quite a bit about, of you know, Achilles because she is his, basically she's his property. He, she's given to him as a war prize, you know, after they sack this city and, so it follows Achilles' story, um, his battle with Hector, um, his eventual killing of Hector. But all of the women are in this camp as they are like going through all of these battles. So it's from their point of view, and it's very well done. This is like your Greek theme. Like you're right? enjoying the Greek, the Greek stuff, yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't, you know, I could not resist it. I couldn't resist it. And it's really, it's really good. I think that it was more accessible than Circe. It took me quite a bit of time to get into Circe, but this, the story is just so immediate and compelling. And, you know, there's less of, there's less characters to learn. I think what's problematic about Circe is that there are so many sort of ephemeral characters that are 
constantly flitting through the narrative that it gets a little bit distracting trying to remember who they are. But with this, you're immediately with Briseis and Achilles and Patroclus and, you know, in this camp and, and seeing how things unfold. I'm just impressed that you started it yesterday and finished it today. I'm still kind of caught up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just turned out to be one of those, um, I don't know, I was on doing a little bit of travel. I think it was one of those that I got up early in the morning, spent a couple of hours with, and had a subway ride or two, and then, yeah, got up this morning and finished it. It's impressive. Then you needed a few more minutes before we got on our call, so had a few few more minutes to close the book on them. And Literally. right now, yes. Well, turn the Kindle page, because it's one of the rare books lately that I mm. I have been reading on my iPad. So you're headed out on travel today. What are you going to bring on the trip? Well, right now I am midway through this book called Our Kind of Cruelty by Araminta Hall. Gillian Flynn really liked this book. She said it, I don't know, whatever people say on blurbs, it had them breathless. It was so good. So I think it was a book of the month book selection. Um that was sort of a little bit buzzy. So I'm reading that now. And it is about, it is about this relationship, this couple who have a component to their relationship, which they call the crave, which is when she will go up to a man at the bar and she starts flirting with him. And, and then her boyfriend, once she gives him a signal, will swoop in and, I guess, save her from this man. It's like an aspect of their relationship. They break up. He goes to New York um, for a job opportunity. Wait, what's the purpose of that? Do they get and, like a rush out of doing that? And she stays in London. Um, that's one of the things that you, that you, I guess that unfolds over the book. You know, you learn more about his psychology and the relationship. I mean, the book opens, he is, has been arrested for a crime that we don't know he has committed and his lawyer asked that he write everything down so that he can get a handle on things. So I guess this is really his written account on what has led to him being in jail. And like, that's one of the aspects of their relationship. And the big question is, you know, is this guy crazy? Was this part of some, you know, whatever he's done, the crime that he's committed, is this, part of some kind of game that they had going on or, you know, has he just sort of snapped? Hmm. But I guess, I, yeah, I guess they get some kind of rush out of it. <laughs> it's weird. Um, their relationship starts when they're in college, so they're young. So it could be, you know, these crazy kids kinds of things. But it does seem that he, you know, I mean, he's in jail Obviously, there has been some kind of breakdown of communication <laughs> in this relationship. Yeah. Interesting. It's an intriguing premise. Yeah. I'll report back. You know, I, Of course, I probably will not tell, be able to tell you the crime since halfway through the book, I still don't know what it is. But I'll report back on it. And this is one that I will probably finish up today. Probably finish up today. I've got a plane ride. What else? Um, you know, I haven't really given a lot of thought on what I'm taking, which is odd. <laughs> 
unusual I have that book that we are going to read. I guess this is good to mention that we're planning on reading and book clubbing with Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves. So you have to read that one. That was the little one that you got, the little one that you got from the library. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got that one sitting by my bed. Yep. So yeah, you've got a lot to finish. You've got a lot on your plate. You've got to finish that in the next couple weeks. That one is It's really short. short. You might even be able to finish that in a day. Yeah, that one maybe I could do in a day. Yeah. Yeah, that's that comes after I finish Evelyn Hugo. Although that that library charge is fine if they're late, so I'll have to. I can't remember when it's due. I think I have another week. And you can swing a quarter, or or did you say yours was a dollar? I don't remember. I just it's kind of a moral thing. I just like <laughs> I don't like I don't like being late on books. I feel really bad when I do that. So the book that we're talking about is Waiting for Eden by Elliot Ackerman. Yeah, and it's it's it it falls into line with Gail and my obsession with the military. The military. Yeah. So um, I think okay. we've covered it. Is there anything? Well, you've got quite a bit that you're planning on finishing up. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on to our the topic at hand, which is memorable scenes from books that we've loved. And I have five to share, and I have a funny story about one of them. Well, I'll start with the one that jumped out at me first because I was like, oh yeah. So, and I don't think you ever read this book. Did you read Room by Emma Donahue? Remember, well, I have this thing with captive. I know. Captive narrative, yeah, yeah, so. actually that, yeah, 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 you're right. So this would probably not be for you. So if you haven't read Room, skip ahead, maybe 60 seconds uh, so that I don't ruin Room for anybody. But Room is about a woman who is imprisoned in like basically a storage unit with her son. Her son is born in captivity and she has, she's trying to escape. She comes up with this plan where she's going to convince her captor that the son is dead and that he has to dispose of the body by, you know, taking the body out and then driving somewhere with it and then disposing of it. And she has this like six year old son, maybe seven. I don't know how old he is. He's young. Who doesn't understand that he's captive. It's a very imaginative and extremely disturbing book, but there's a scene where she's trying to execute the plan where she's, you know, the plan is underway and you as the reader don't know, is it going to succeed or not? You may have a suspicion that it will, but you don't know. And so I don't know if I've ever felt so tense reading a book. I think, I, I mean, it ranks up there um, where you don't know if the son's going to be able to pull it off, if it's going to succeed, will they be saved and how will it transpire? So that scene, which I also remember from the movie because I saw the movie too, but I remembered it very, very uh, vividly from the book. That scene where you don't know what's going to happen is how so How did that play intense. for you? in the movie, having read the book? You know, I was still super stressed out. (laughs) Yes. And I'm like, I know what happens here. And I'm still like my, I could barely watch it. Mm -hmm. It was like, it took all my self-control not to fast forward through it because it was so, it was so stressful. Right. Honestly, so stressful. Such a good book though. And I understand why you don't want to read it and it's really disturbing. And I would say, don't read it because I think it would will give you nightmares. But um, it is it is a really well-done book, and the movie was well done. Brie Larson was amazing. 
And uh, it just, like, as I was looking at the shelves, I saw room and I'm like, well, duh, that's the one, <laughs> that's number one on my list. So memorably intense scenes, that goes number one. Now, are all of yours, are they all, are all of yours tense or do you have a mix? I'm curious. Um, because four out of five of, three out of five of them are tense and two out of the remaining two are either emotional or um, uh, suspense, they like take your breath away because they're surprising. Yeah, that was interesting for me when I was putting together, like looking at, you know, looking down my list of books of what I've read and, and looking at my shelves and seeing, you know, ooh, what caught for me. Now, some, when I thought about like some immediate things that came to me were from childhood or adolescence, hmm, okay. I'll say. Cool. Um, I don't know if it's because I was reading less or because in a way things, you know, when I remember reading when I was younger, things were, you know, they were an introduction. Like, you know, you hadn't read the same plot 50 million times at that point. Right. So I wonder if things like lodged um, more in my brain at that point. And then I was read some of the books that I read were sort of traumatic. When you think about a sounder or where the red fern grows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, here's another thing too, that you've got the benefit of years of distance. So the things that stick out are sticking out more than they used to, you know, like the, the stuff that's not so memorable has probably faded away. Right. So the highlights are sticking out. Yeah. So the first book that I'll mention that had a really memorable scene, and it probably sticks out for me because it was nothing I had ever thought about before, was from The Stars Are Fire by Anita Shreve, The Night of the Fire, when everyone runs down to the ocean. And they're all lined up along, you know, along the beach, and they're burying themselves in the sand because, you know, I guess you can't be in the water and they have to be under the sand and everyone is holding their breath and they're waiting for like this wall of fire to pass, to pass by them. And that's just something that really sticks with me. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, so tense. So what's going to happen and just so strange. Yes. Well, I have to laugh because one of my five is also from the stars of fire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which and I was just going to say too that it's just like that's just there's so many things in that book were that were memorable. Mm-hmm. Like I could have had other scenes in that. You know, there are some touching moments because they go um, the families of the survivors of those fires are divvied up amongst other families in the area, and so there's a lot of touching scenes. Like, what's what was your well, mine was when her husband shows back up. Mm-hmm. So it's the scene where she's so kind this of is like... definite spoiler. <laughs> definite spoiler. The scene where she's kind of gotten her life on this good track and she's got... I, I mean, I can't remember all the details. I don't know. There was like another guy she was excited to see or she sort of has got this job and she's supporting herself. And I think her mother, maybe her mother has moved in. And then her 
husband, who she didn't like in the first place, has been terribly injured by these fires and has been gone for a few months, and then he returns. And he's just. And I remember so I texted you, and I was and like, "Hateful and yeah, awful." Yeah, he's just an awful person. And I remember texting you like, Nicole, what the hell is going to happen? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't bear this book. And I think you'd finished it at that point. Um, so that for me, that incredibly intense and very disturbing and upsetting scene where you just feel so awful for her. That whole uh, section was just tense. Not just him showing up, but then just like the attitude that he has. Yeah. You know, it's like she is once again under his thumb. And because he is so disfigured and has had such a hard time with his recovery, he's just a nightmare. Yes. This was one of Nicole and I, my favorite books of last year, I think it was. Last year or two years ago. I don't even remember when it came out. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, Maybe um, last year. Yeah, we were really into it. So uh, that's funny that this made it both of our lists. So that was that's my number two right there. Yeah, it was super memorable. Yeah. So I'm going to mention a couple of little ones, less tense, from childhood. Little House on the Prairie, reading that. And, you know, they have all of these scenes of the food that they're eating. One is when they butcher the pig and they make um, they make a balloon out of its bladder and they play with this balloon. Like, they're tossing it around. And it just... It's, you know, of course, Little House on the Prairie is one of those books I feel like everyone reads or you introduce your kids. Like, it's a generational book that still manages, you know, there's so much interest in Laura Ingalls Wilder mm-hmm. and the Little House books. And just thinking about, you know, this was a woman who, I don't know, she lived during a time of Manifest Destiny, which, of course is very fraught and has lots of different meanings considering what that meant and the displacement of Native Americans during that time. But at the same time, of course, these books are written. They are like, you know, this quintessential American family, farmers, um, frontiersmen who don't have a lot. You know, basically the, the heartwarming story about Little House is that they don't have a lot, but they have all of this love. And it seems like everything that they have is so treasured. So like every part of this pig that they butcher is important and it even provides playthings. And then there's like another memorable piece where I think they make candy in the snow where it's something just as simple as it's snowed and they go and they pour maple syrup into shapes and they let it harden in the snow. And that's what they eat. Those are my memorable little house moments. That's awesome. Because I wanted something happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think childhood stuff, I didn't even think about childhood books. And there's a few that jump out at me. Um, scenes I got, All of a Kind Family. I don't know if you ever read those when you were little. There are so many scenes from All of a Kind Family that are so memorable to me. And I've read them more recently because I read them to my kids. But, oh, my God, so many. The, the, a series of books about five Jewish girls growing up on the Lower East Side. Um, I guess it's in the, maybe during the Depression or after the Depression. Oh, it's, they're just so memorable. There's so many charming stories there. So I think those childhood memories obviously really lodge themselves in and they 
are very, I don't know, very sort of reassuring to think about them. Um, okay, so another one I have picked was, and my memories of this are a little bit hazy too, but the book Atonement, did you read that? No, I saw the movie. Okay, so you saw the movie. And I think we talked about this on a recent podcast, but there's a scene in the book where somebody feels very, very guilty for something that she did, a lie that she told that caused the breakup of her older sister's relationship and the subsequent enrollment of her sister's boyfriend in as a soldier in the war. So and then in the second third of the book, you track him through the war. He's fighting, I think it's World War One. Must be World War One. Actually I can't remember if it's World War One or World War Two. And he's fighting and it's just terribly graphic and awful. And then in the final third, the younger sister finally finds or she finally finds out what happened to her older sister and the soldier. And you are led to believe that there's a certain outcome to what happened to them. And then you find out that, in fact, that's not what happened, that something entirely different happened. And that is like a sucker punch when you figure figure it out. out. Yeah. I, I found it to be. Yeah, it was just really, it was just really memorable. Do you do you remember that scene? Yes. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Those moments in a book or a story that just redefine everything that came before it. Yeah. Put the entire thing in different perspective. So anyway, that was it for me. So that's Atonement by Ian McEwan. All right. So my next one is a recent one. It is one that Gail... I, I think I've dangled a carrot, enough carrots in front of her face that she wants to read it, and it is Baby Teeth. Oh, it arrived yesterday. Oh. Because I did the Spivey Swap. I think we're going to be hearing lots about the this, Spivey this Swap. <laughs> <laughs> for Gail's less than stellar books. Yeah, and what I can get in return yeah. for them. Yeah. And what you can get for them. You're going to have to oh, start, so tell me, start so, a list. Are you going to spoil anything if you tell me your most memorable scene? No. No, it's throughout the book. And it's basically this woman, she has a condition. And I'm not, I don't remember. She has some sort of combination of maybe Crohn's or some kind of gastritis. She has some kind of like really chronic stomach disorder that, and has a lot to do with like considering what it is that she can eat, like she's had surgery. So they're always there. They're describing the surgery and how basically her stomach was just outside of itself. And it's like this festering wound. This is the Um, mother. This is the mother. Uh, So she has this condition that she's managing in addition to like marriage to this sort of oblivious husband whom she loves very much and a psychotic child who she also loves very much, but you know, it's very problematic. I was never sure. I mean, I was so squeamish about the way she describes this stomach thing. And, you know, it it just ties so much into sort of her exhaustion as a mother and, and the things that she's going through because she wants to be perfect and she wants to have a perfect family and all of this energy that she is exerting. And um, 
and how she's dealing with this at the same time. And I could never figure out, like, this is one of those things that was just intriguing about this book because I think the characteristics of the illness that she picks and what's going on with her daughter and her family are so carefully chosen that I was, you know, it was almost like this condition that she has was a character in the story. And that's part of what made it really horrible for me to read. You'll see. Wow. Okay. I don't know when I'm going to work up the nerve to read it. But there is this really, (laughs) there is this really memorable scene that I, I won't, yeah, I won't mention that. Okay. Maybe you tell me after I've read it, you can tell me what, what it was. Yeah. If I remember. (laughs) Okay. Um, So what was next for you? Yeah. So I have a similar pick to, I guess, to Baby Teeth, which is a book we've compared Baby Teeth to a little bit, which is We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. And I mean, there are so many very gruesome and awful, disturbing scenes in that book. But the one that really resonates for me is at the end of the book, this is when the mother goes to visit her son in prison. And he gives her something which is extremely personal and very meaningful to both of them, but in a, but that's also extremely disturbing. He sort of slides it to her across the table. And um, that, I just remember that scene and then her going home to her new life that she's living after her son has committed these heinous crimes. Um, I mean, the book is just, it's chock full of so many very disturbing things, but that one stands out among others that stand out a lot. (laughs) There's that scene. There's the scene. Well, the awful scene where he kills his father and his sister with the archery, with the arrow through the eye, which is maybe the most awful thing I've ever thought about. But there's also a scene where um, he's sick. I don't know if you remember this. He's sick at home with a fever for like for a while, like a week, he's sick. And he reverts into this normal, affectionate, sweet kid. And she's like, oh my God, who is this, this, this kid? And like, then as he gets better, he turns back into the hateful, awful Kevin. And I remember I asked Lionel Shriver about that scene because I went to like a book reading that she did for it. And I was like, what, um, you know, what was that about? Is that like he's stripped of all of his defenses and he's sick and vulnerable. So he, you know, that that's the true Kevin. Like, is that really who Kevin is the Kevin when he was sick or is it the Kevin or is it the evil Kevin? And I don't even remember what her answer was. I think she said, you know, we're just showing different facets of the same person, but I don't know. I thought it was really interesting, but we can, um, okay. So that was my two, three, fourth one. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have anything that has a little bit more levity. <laughs> <laughs> In the end of the day, uh, levity, comedy is not memorable. I know. Comedy or heartwarming. Apparently, we just like remember these gruesome things where people are either running for their lives or they have some sort of debilitating illness or like right. the, shi- the shocking psycho killer moment. <laughs> right. All right. Well, okay. So this year I read The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. 
And there is this scene, you know, it is about this young woman who, you know, it's exploring what it means to be a feminist to this young woman who's just graduated from college and she has the opportunity to work with an idol of hers. And um, so part of the book, part of the book is her genesis from, from, like there's this big deal. She goes to college and the college is a lesser college than she wanted to attend because her parents can't even be bothered to fill out the financial aid application. So instead of being able to afford the Ivy League college she gets into, she goes to a different college. And it talks a little bit about how she maintains her relationship with her boyfriend who has gotten into two Ivies, but he chooses to go to the one that she didn't get into. So I guess it's less of a less of an affront, I'll say. So anyway, they, at some point during the novel, they visit, um, or she visits with his family because they lived across the street from each other as they were growing up. And there is this scene where his little brother, Corey, is, he's practicing riding his bike. He's just learned how to ride this bike. And he very slowly, while you know, Greer is outside talking to Corey's mom, is riding his bike around the block. And there was just so much menace in this trip around the trip around the block. Like I, I won't spoil it and say whether it turns out to be meaningful or anything, but it was super tense. Anytime you have a child on a bicycle where they're doing something for the first time on a suburban block, it's just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Yep. So I won't tell you what happened, but it was very memorable. <laughs> yeah. You it know, all with the sort of like, look at me, mom, look at me, you know. Right. See what I'm doing before disaster strikes and other, right. and other things. Right. Okay, well, here's my last one, and here's the funny story that goes with it. So I last night I was like, oh, I remember this very emotional scene from a book I read a really long time ago, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, a while ago. And first I had to figure out which what the book was. And I was looking on the, on the shelves in the library, and I found the book that I thought it was called Good Grief by Lolly Winston. But I didn't have time. This was this morning and I was racing out the door and I didn't have time to isolate, you know, to look it up and confirm, is this the book that the scene takes place in and is it as I remembered? So I threw it in my briefcase and then I got to work and before I was uh, dialing in to record this episode with you, I said, oh, I need to just, let me flip through it really fast and make sure it's the right book. So I'm flipping around and I can't find it, but the book is kind of, As I remembered it, it's a story about a a woman in her late 30s whose husband dies of cancer. And it's just, it's all about sort of how her recovery and, you know, how she deals with her grief. That's interesting because I was going to ask you if it was a book from childhood because of the title. No, no, no. The title sounds. No, no, no. Because it really means like good grief is really, it is all about the process of grieving. And so right before... I dialed in. I was like, you know, I'm just going to check my blog and see if I get any hints from whatever I, however I reviewed the book to see if, you know, to make sure that it's actually the book. So I pull open this blog post is from 2007 
So it's 11 years ago. And then I said, so it says it looked like chiclet, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it's all about, you know, how she does, creates her new life. Then it says, Sophie is matter of fact and honest without feeling sorry for herself. Her depictions of grief are realistic and at times heartbreaking. And then I read in parentheses, I cried several times while reading this book. Beware of page 216, especially. So <laughs> I go pick the book up, go to page 216, and there it is. It's that moment. It's <laughs> like, there's the moment I was thinking of. Yes. So I was laughing at how predictable I am that it's the same scene and that 11 years ago I thought to write on my blog what page it was. Right. So I was giving myself a clue that 11 years later I was going to still remember that scene but I'm going to – would be trying to find it and couldn't. And it was giving <laughs> myself a little breadcrumb like here it is. So the scene is that her husband is dying of cancer and it's basically the last time they're together in bed. And how they, you know, he's, he's very weak, but he still has enough strength in him to be intimate with her. And she sort of describes like, you know, physically what that was like, you know, with his weakness and she can tell that he's in pain. Um, And then like, she's like, it would be the last time we were ever together. And it just was like, I just remember reading that and just, it was so sad. Um, So anyway, the book, it's, the book is many years old and I don't think like has the book itself stood the test of time for me probably not like I don't really remember much of the rest of it but that one depiction of you know that that sort of like the end of the physical part of their marriage really really stuck with me so good grief by Lolly Winston have you read anything by her before no I've never heard of her before Oh, she read, um, she also wrote Happiness Sold Separately, which I read. Um, I like her. She's When were these books published? 2007. Let's see. Let's see if she has anything more recent out. I think feel like she does. Yeah, I've never heard of her. And I put her in like the Taylor Jenkins read category. Oh, okay. Like she's, you know, women's fiction-y. Like it's not like literary fiction, but it's. Me For You came out – no, it's coming out in March. Oh, I think I have that on um, NetGalley. Yeah, I think I have that on NetGalley. So Me For You, Happiness Sold Separately was 2006. Good Grief was 2005. Then she's got um, – that's it, really. That's it. So I'm definitely going to read that new one. I'm trying to think, what was that one about? Um, oh, yes, I do have this. It's another one. It's about a widow. Actually, it's a widower. It's a guy, not a widow. Um, you know, someone who, like, is putting his life together after his wife died. And he's in his 50s. Um, yeah, I like her. So, you know, not, I think it's, like, a good not like a palate cleanser, but just, I don't know, enjoyable reads. And that's all I have. So my last one, and like you said, this might be a good show maybe to check in with yearly and to see what sticks out, what will stick out for us. Uh, My last one is a book called Kindred by Octavia Butler. 
And it is about this woman. It doesn't go into the specifics of it. It's sort of time travel, but you don't know what the mechanism is really of, of time travel. And she, she's going back and forth in time. She's basically called to one of her ancestors who happens to be a white male in the South. And she's a black woman in the 1970s. So whenever he's in danger, some time, some kind of way that they, they are linked. So she goes back in time to help him with whatever situation it is that will save his life. Because if she doesn't, she won't exist. And she gets to see him evolve basically from a young boy to, you know, the awful man of his time. He becomes as, you know, basically a plantation owner in in the 1850s, I don't know, deep south. I want to say Mississippi or somewhere terrible. But anyway, the story begins, it basically begins with her being in the hospital. And she tells you that this is the last time that she has gone and made this type of trip. And somehow when she is being transported, her arm gets caught in the wall of her apartment. And the police come, you know, there's no explanation for how it is. They end up having to amputate her arm. And she's laying in the hospital basically, you know, trying to explain that her husband is not responsible for what has happened to her. And it's just like the most memorable opening I've ever read, I think. And a memorable huh. scene because it's 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 like a fascinating book to where this woman is trying to deal with the moral complexities of helping a man who is so terrible, but because of the way their families are linked, it's the you know, if she doesn't help him Basically, no one in her family exists. So it's all like all of her interesting quandaries and like what should she do in these situations and what are the compromises that they make and and are they similar to any situations in her present where she's actually married to a white man. It's, It's such a fascinating book. It's like one of my probably top 10 books that I recommend that people read, like Kindred and Destiny of the Republic. That um, does sound really interesting. And so it sort of sets up the book how, you know, this time is damaging. I mean, this woman is forever changed by these trips that she's taken. And I think the time period, like it's so long in their time, but I think that it takes place over maybe a period of two weeks. It's really good. I would recommend that you check it out, Gail. I think you'd like Hmm. it. Yeah, I think I would. So, um, we tried to inject a few moments of levity where we could. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But basically, the things that catch our attention and stay with us are pretty grim. Yes. Which I guess is really not that surprising. All right. Well, we'll revisit this maybe later. Um, Maybe end of the year next year or maybe halfway through the year and see what's sticking out from the last six months. I'm sure we could each pick up, you know pick out five more either from childhood or just other books that we've read, you know, since we've been keeping track. Even though I wonder how much this will change it, you know, like, are we going to be like, Oh, I can scroll this away for a memorable moment. So no cheating. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's true. No cheating. Has to be a pop quiz sort of thing. All right. So I think that, That does it for this episode of The Readerly Report. 
coming up for the end of the year. I think we've got like a gift guide. We'll start getting into our best of 2018. Like I said, we have that book club that we're going to do with Sarah's bookshelves because we are all reading the Elliot Ackerman novel, Waiting for Eden. And uh, yeah, so until next time, happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com. And you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. And Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time.